welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. Got a full house this morning. Um, as people are trickling in and if we're waiting for seats, kids will be invited to their time of worship in just a bit. And if everyone could maybe scoot, uh, that'd be great. Uh, my name is Jenna. If we haven't met, I am the executive pastor here at Awaken. I will be leading us in a call to worship this morning. And so as we begin, I'd like to invite you to stand if you're able. This is a reading from Howard Thurman's Meditations of the Heart. It's entitled, I Will Sing a New Song. The old song of my spirit has wearied itself out. It has long ago been learned by heart, so that now it repeats itself over and over, bringing no added joy to my days or lift to my spirit. It's a good song measured to a rhythm to which I am bound by ties of habit. The words belong to old experiences, which once sprang fresh as water from a mountain crevice fed by melting snows. But my life has passed beyond to other levels where the old song is meaningless. I demand of the old song that it meet the need of present urgencies. I know that the work of the old song, perfect in its place, is not for the new demand. And so I will sing a new song. Difficult as it is, I must learn the new song that is capable of meeting the new need. I must fashion words born of all the new growth of my life, my mind, and my spirit. I must prepare for new melodies that have never been mine before that all that is within me may, may lift my voice unto God. How I love the old, the old familiarity of the wearied melody. How I shrink from the harsh discords of new untried harmonies. Teach me, my God, that I might learn with abandonment and enthusiasm of Jesus the fresh new accent, the untried melody to meet the need of the untried morrow. Thus, I may rejoice with each new day and delight my spirit in each fresh unfolding. I will sing this day a new song unto thee, O God. Amen. Welcome to Awaken. My name's Micah. I'm turning my phone on Do Not Disturb. Every once in a while, my brothers will text me when they know church is happening, and it's just like, bing, bing. Um, so that's not going to happen today, but welcome to you. Glad that you're with us. Uh, again, my name is Micah. Uh, if you're new to Awaken, we're really glad that you're here. We'd love to know uh, that you are with us. So in the seat pockets in front of you or the pews there or online, you can click a button that says, I'm new. And if you fill out that little card, somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Um, we'll get to know you. You can get to know us a little bit, and we'll see what happens. Uh, if you also have tithes and offerings that you've come ready to give, those and those cards can go in the black boxes. There's also a lot of different ways online that you can give to Awaken, as noted behind me. Uh, again, always so grateful for your generosity and support of this community. Uh, what happens here is it's all the work of the people. It's liturgy, so thank you for that. 
A um, couple things we want to let you know about. Number one, there is a volunteer thank you event that's happening today after the gathering. I have it on um, pretty good authority, you know, that God and I, the rain's going to stop. Uh, so I've been assured that there will be no rain for this event. Got a direct word. Um, so that's uh, 1215, and the radar also <laughs> will tell me that that's the case. So. Uh, 12.15 after the gathering at Highland Park Pavilion, just up the street. Um, lunch is available for you, and that's just our way of saying thank you to all of you who put your hand to the plow and make things happen around here. Uh, there is a, I'm pretty sure, well, there's a surprise. I'll just say that. There's a surprise for you, and you're not going to want to miss it. Um, number, number two, there is a meeting this week for the Moms of Babies on the 20th of July. That happens in the nursery here, I think about monthly. Um, moms and, and babies uh, gather to support one another and commiserate and share their war stories and whatnot. So um, I am not privileged enough to go to that meeting, but I've heard it's great. So I invite you to that. Uh, Discover Awakens coming. So if you're new around here, um, every couple months we host this class called Discover Awaken, July the 23rd. It's coming up. And that's just for uh, new people trying to get to know Awaken. So we'll share lunch together and give you an opportunity to hear a little bit more about mission, vision, and values around here. Uh, give you a chance to ask questions and get to know us a little bit. If you could register for that, we do provide lunch, so it's helpful to know. And then finally, uh, the 26th of July, the summer edition of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner um, is happening 6.30 to 8.30. And this is just a fantastic way to get to know some folks at Awaken. Uh, super low-key, low-pressure. We have a lot of hosts. I think we have 15 hosts. So we can host like 150 people at Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Um, so please sign up. It's a ton of fun. And um, want to invite you to that as a, a way to, to deepen some connections and relationships here at Awaken. So invite you to that. Sound good? Uh, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to find them, and you're going to want to find the book of Nehemiah. It is in the Old Testament, and it is after the book of Psalms. I'll give you that tip. Uh, do you guys remember BMG or Columbia House? Remember that, the CD services? You know, you'd, you'd pay for one, and then you'd get 10 in the mail. You remember that? Way back, this is like when I was going, when I was in high school. So my first BMG pack included... Uh, Chicago's Greatest Hits. Like, what 18-year-old doesn't need that, right? Uh, Yanni, Live at the Acropolis. <laughs> it's actually really good, you know? I, was, uh, I did get U2's uh, uh, Joshua Tree. You know, that's, that's a classic. Um, Brian, not Ryan, Brian Adams, Feels So Good album. The Gin Blossoms. So it was a real pack, you know, of joy and, and good things. Rewind just a little bit further from that, right? Your first cassette tape. Does anyone remember their first cassette tape? Couple. Okay, can, can we hear what were the first cassette tapes you got? Little Mermaid Soundtrack. Little Mermaid Soundtrack. Wow. <laughs> Jacob Roram, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate Ace of Bass. That was my pump-up music on the way to hockey games in high school, by the way. Amy Grant. Car the Carpenters. Okay, okay. Say it again. Gordon Lightfoot. Very classy. I would expect nothing less from you, Lizzie Larson. My first cassette tape was Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet. Yes, which came with the added bonus of the, uh, the smashing hit, Living on a Prayer. 
Um, I did a little research on that. Evidently, that song's about trickle-down economics. I don't know if you know that or not. Here's what John Bon Jovi says about it. He says, it's a, it deals with the way that two kids, you know, Tommy and Gina, face life struggles and how their love and ambitions get them through the hard times. It's working class and it's real. Trickle-down economics are really inspirational to writing songs. There you go. <laughs> Evidently, Reagan's trickle-down economics inspired one of the greatest rock and roll songs of the 80s. Living on a prayer. We got each other, and that's a lot for love. We got to hold on, uh, you know, what is it? We got, we got to hold on to what we've got. Doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. We got each other, and that's a lot for love. We're living on a prayer. Such a great album. Such a great song. We're going to continue in our series this morning. I got you, don't I? You're like, where is he going with this? That's a, that's a classic preacher's tactic where you just like give them a little tease and they're like, what is, what is he talking about? Why did he say that? Hold on, I'll get there. Uh, we're going to continue our series this morning in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is really about a story about hope. It's a story about what happens when everything is lost. It's a story about what happens when you, the home that you've known is no longer and you have to rebuild a home. Um, for those of you that weren't here last week, we introduced this, uh, this study that we're going to be in over the next few weeks, months, uh, and oriented ourselves to the context and the place in which this, this lives. So just by memory, we're going to quickly go through this here. So Ace, if you want to throw that first one up there, uh, the, the pictures, the graph. There we are. Um, so remember, the story of Israel begins with the Exodus, where they leave Egypt. They are promised a land. They wander a little while before they get there. Once they're in the promised land, they, they struggle to find their way a little bit, and they're given judges, a, a number of them, to sort of bring them back into, on track. Uh, eventually, they ask for a king. The kingdom splits into two. So in 722, uh, nope, stay there. 722, Israel in the north is captive by the Syrians. 586, Israel in the, or in the south, the two kingdoms in the south, captured by the Babylonians. And during that time, you have the prophets, right, who speak words of admonition and challenge and encouragement to come back to the covenant that they are in with God, the Israelites. And it's during that time that we get the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is really the subject of our study. Next slide there. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, one compilation, really one work, <clears throat> split up into two books in our Bibles, but held together because they tell the same story. And it's about the return of the people back to Jerusalem. So after they're taken captive... Uh, the, the northern kingdom is kind of just gonzo in terms of history, but the southern kingdom, many of them make it back, and after 70 years of being in exile, they begin to come back to the, to the city. And Ezra tells the story of the rebuilding of the temple and the reconstitution and re-implementation of Torah in the community. And then Nehemiah, our study, tells the story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, right? And uh, we, we, last week, we started in verses 1 to 4, where Nehemiah's first response to hearing about the destruction of the city and, the, and uh, the, the, the temple being destroyed is grief and mourning. And so uh, we spent some time in grief and mourning last week. This week, we're going to keep going. And like Bon Jovi, who was living on a prayer, Nehemiah, thank you, all that, right, all that, all that. Nehemiah opens his book with a prayer that we're going to study this morning. So, um, Carrie, if you would, uh, if you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the text, and we will hear the prayer that Nehemiah offers for himself and the people. Then I said, Lord, 
the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled peoples are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Pray with me if you would. God, we gather this morning as your church uh, gathered in your name, Jesus, and uh, as we look back to this old and ancient story, I pray that um, you, by your spirit, would make yourself known to us, that you would move and um, encourage, invite, challenge us to become more and more the people that uh, that you envision us to be, Um, a people that are marked by generosity and love, by compassion and forgiveness, by a a way of life that maybe looks a little odd in the world that we live in. And so when we find ourselves in opposition to or up against um, these two different stories, that we would be found faithful choosing the way of Jesus, the way of peace and the way of love, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and the church said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. So, Nehemiah begins with a prayer, and uh, this morning, I want to try to glean some things from this prayer. Uh, Before I do that, I think it's important to quickly say, while I I do want to glean some things from this prayer, and I think that we can glean some wisdom from this, uh, I want to be honest about the fact that this is 2,500 years old. It It is a person who prayed a prayer specific to a group of people who we are not even close to remotely connected to. Um, When Nehemiah is praying this prayer, it's about God's people. And at that time, God's people was tribal. And it was ethnic. And it was specific and local. Um, And participation in God's people was connected to circumcision and obedience to the Mosaic law. And we are 2,500 years um, removed from that. And so it's a very different context into which we live. And God's people is no longer tribal, Lord willing. And it's no longer specific and national, Lord willing. Amen? It's not about one particular country or it's not about one particular group of people. It's transnational and it is human And participation in God's kingdom or God's people is no longer a a physical marking given to particular people in that group, 
but rather by faith in Christ, this person Jesus, who has come and redefined God's people. So Nehemiah's prayer is very specific, and, and, and much of his prayer is rooted in like obedience to Mosaic law and confession of the ways in which the people had not been doing that. And so a lot of it is not applicable to us at all, right? So I want to be honest about that. But then I also want to say that, that, that there's a lot of wisdom here in this prayer. And I think that there are things that we can learn from it in 2023 as Awaken, right? So uh, that's what we're going to mine it for this morning. We're going to ask and we're going to hope that the Spirit offers something to us. But I think sometimes when we come to Scripture... Um, we just assume things, and uh, we assume we can sort of cut and paste, and uh, that's just not always the case. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I think to myself, like, why doesn't somebody just say that out loud? That this is a text that's ancient, and it's thousands of years old, and so much of it doesn't apply. And yet, it's a means by which God continues to speak and reveal God's self to us today. And so we can come to it with that hope and expectation. So that's what we're going to do today, Yeah. Okay, so um, first things first, let's start here. Uh, prayer is the first action of Nehemiah. Uh, you could argue that Nehemiah's first response, right, is grief and mourning. We started there last week. And so he hears about the destruction of the temple and the city and the, 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 the waste that, has been his, that is now his home, and he grieves. And that's his res first response. But I would argue his first action, his first move towards, like, doing something is actually a move towards prayer. Um, and I know it seems, it may seem like a very trite response, and probably one you've heard from people like me in places like this, that maybe some of you are actually on your way uh, leaving, or uh, on, your, on your way of leaving behind, and yet I'm still going to ask it of us, and us includes me, this morning. And that is... How often is your first response prayer? How often is my first response prayer? Like, you know, you're facing a challenge, whatever it be, personal, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. And how often is prayer like your first response? Some of you in this room, are. this comes very naturally to you. I found it to be the minority in my experience. So I'm going to assume that that's true this morning and that the majority of us in this room, prayer is not our first response. And I want to ask the question, why? And before you lead yourself to your own conclusion that this is an exercise of guilt and shame, I actually want it to be an exercise of curiosity. If it's not your first response, like why? Not why, but why? And this is actually a great all play question. Cody, would you do me a huge favor and turn that fan off down there? If it keeps blowing, it's all I'm gonna think about and that's not gonna be good. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, all play question, so I'll just throw the question out there and I'd love to hear your response. So shout it out, uh, now that the fan's not on, I'll be able to hear a little better. But um, if you struggle with prayer, or prayer's not your first response, um, maybe let's just stick with, if you struggle with prayer, why? What are some of the reasons? Let's hear them. Prayer is not always answered. Prayer is not always answered, or maybe we don't think it is, or it doesn't appear to be. Yes. It's a distraction. Or You're distracted. Yes. Okay. Me too. What else? Feels like yelling at a wall. Feels like yelling at a wall. Yep, human nature to try to fix it yourself. Makes things out of my control. Okay, it's 
it, 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 it leaves things out of my control. It actually, like, declares that something's out of my control. Yeah. What else? Why do you... It seems like inaction. In the flesh. Yes. What else? Yeah. Yes. Complicated. How does this actually even work? Doubt its efficacy. Love that word, efficacy. Yeah, prayer. It's a complicated matter, is it not? Uh, I, I, I'm a Christian because it makes the most sense to me. So I'm a thinker, and I've like thought through, like, what's the best way to be human in the world? And what do I actually do with this person called Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago and evidently was crucified on a Roman cross? Like, I'm a Christian because it makes the most sense to me. And prayer doesn't make sense to me. It seems a little bizarre sometimes. It seems a little odd. Um, thank you for being honest. I appreciate it. Um, Nehemiah and many people in Scripture, we find that prayer and bringing themselves and their situation, their struggle, their anger, their sadness into the presence of God is a response that seems natural and normal. And for people who uh, have walked a journey of faith and lived a spiritual life, prayer is often a very large part of that. So for those of you who maybe are a little bit more like me than those of you who, for whom this comes very naturally, by the way, for those of you that prayer comes naturally to, I'm so grateful for you. And our church desperately like, depends on you and your gifts. And um, like, God bless you. Thank you. Keep praying, right? Uh, and bringing your full selves. So I want to include you in this too. Um, but for those of you who maybe are a little bit more like me, uh, I wanted to wrestle with this question of like, why isn't prayer my normal or first response? Have you ever been a part of a conversation where maybe there's three, four, five of you and you're having a conversation, but then there's one person who's like obviously outside of the conversation, but there? You know that kind of awkward moment where it's like, maybe they joined a little bit later or they uh, were just like one of these things is doing their own thing and they were kind of outside of in. And so the conversation's happening and everybody kind of knows it, right? But there they are. And then maybe somebody is kind and gracious enough to say, oh, Tim, hop in. Here's what we've been talking about. I wonder if prayer, as I was thinking about this this week, I wonder if prayer isn't as easy as that. Um, you know, you're driving down the highway and you're wrestling with whatever it is that is going on in your life. You're doing mental gymnastics. You're struggling. You're, and as simply as, oh, hey, Tim, <laughs> thanks for being here. Here's what's going on. Like, is that not the beginning of a prayerful life? Hey, God, Jesus, however you relate to the divine, Hey, thanks for being here. Join me. Could it be that simple? A mental scaffolding, uh, maybe it's helpful for you. If God is real, that's not an assumption I'm assuming all of you agree with, but if God is real, if there is a divine presence in the world, and they're out there, and if that God 
is actually like Jesus, which the Bible claims on a number of occasions that what we know about God, we can know in Jesus. So if God is real and if God is like Jesus, do I think that Jesus would want to have a conversation with me? Like, do I have any reason to believe from the life and teachings of Jesus that Jesus wouldn't be interested in a conversation with me? Do I have any reason to believe that Jesus would want to be with me in the midst of those situations, those struggles, those wrestlings? Like, if you had a really close friend or partner, would you want them to say, here's what I'm thinking about, here's what I'm wrestling with, here's what's close to my heart? Of course you would. Of course I would. That's what it means to be a good friend. Like, am I a better friend than Jesus? Are you a better friend than Jesus? Maybe, I don't know. I've met most of you, and I would probably not, right? <laughs> probably not. I'm probably not a better friend than Jesus, right? So, like, if that's true, then yes to all the reservations and all the caveats <clears throat> and all the objections and wonderings about prayer and how it works and if it works and what all. Yes, right? That's all in the room. But then just honestly... Is, can prayer be more simple than we make it out to be? Can it be as simple as, hey, Jesus, thanks for joining. Thanks for being here as you're driving down the highway. Just a recognition that someone else is there, a part of the conversation. And then keep wrestling in your mind, you know, to say what you want to say. Awaken, as we begin this journey and this discerning process of like, what is the next chapter? And as we begin to write the next chapter, an invitation to begin how Nehemiah begins. With prayer. With a, hey Jesus, thanks for being here. Hey God, glad you're with us in this discerning and writing of a new chapter. And whatever it is that you're wrestling with in your own lives, uh, an invitation to, to allow that to be the first response to maybe grow in that way, that we could just imagine ourselves in a conversation and just, hey, Jesus, glad you're here, and off we go. Um, and for those of you for whom this comes naturally, again, please, keep praying, keep leading us, keep inviting us towards this, because I think it is a, an important part of the spiritual life that I struggle with personally, and I wonder if I'm the only one. So, uh, Right after verse 6 in our text, Nehemiah asks God to, like, his ear, their ears to be attentive and eyes to be open. And he says, to hear the prayer of your servant praying before you day and night. And then here's the part I want us to see for, for number 2. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Nehemiah includes himself in the people. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're like part of something and then it goes sideways and you're like, yeah, those guys over there or that person over there or that team and that division, right? Uh, one of the reasons this book has been the query of so many people over the course of history is it turns out Nehemiah is actually a fantastic leader. So this is as much about spiritual life as it is about leadership principles. And as we study this text, we'll see that this will come up over and over again. Nehemiah is a phenomenal leader. There is a wisdom. Uh, he's often found making sound and wise choices in the midst of difficult circumstances. And this is a perfect example of a kingdom move and the wisdom that is found in Scripture that often looks like foolishness in the world that we live in. Nehemiah says, I'm with them. When things go sideways 
and there's a struggle or disappointment or somebody didn't, you know, like uh, live up to their end of the, the bargain, you know, they didn't meet their quota, Nehemiah doesn't stand back and say it's them, but he actually says it's us, we together. Uh, I don't know if anybody's watched the show Succession. It's awful. It's like it's every character in it is just terrible. And it's kind of like watching a car, car crash. You just can't stop watching it. You're hoping that somebody turns out to be worthy of like redemption and have value and like choose the right way, and they just never do. Spoiler alert, great finale, though. One of the better finales I've ever seen. This is a show about, uh, you know, a, a, mo- a media mogul who, uh, bazillionaire, and his four kids, and they're all, it's all about who's going to succeed, you know, the, their dad, who's going to take over the company. And it takes four seasons. And I won't tell you how it ends. But it, it, it highlights the absolute cutthroat and like every man and every woman for themselves world that we live in. And I've been a pastor for 24 years. I graduated from college in 1999 and my first job, one month after I graduated from college, was as a junior high youth pastor. It's the only thing I've ever done, work in a church. So I don't actually know about the world that you live in <laughs> but I wonder if it's anything like succession. <laughs> and I hear that sometimes it is. And it turns out the church world isn't that different, where we cut off our own arms, you know, and just like send people out to pasture. The world that we live in invites us to consider ourselves before our neighbor. And it invites us to um, take care of ourselves and guard, like, secure our interests, even at cost to our neighbor and even our own brother or sister, literal, like blood, family. Where when, it, when, it, when it's advantageous to us, we take a step back and like, chop the, the plank that they're standing on off and, or push them over. Like This is the world that we live in. This is normal and natural, and it happens all the time. And that's the wisdom of the world, right? Like, you got to protect your interests because no one else is looking out for you. And Nehemiah says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed. So not only is his first response prayer, but it's confession and an inclusion of himself in the people. There's a, there's a, a leadership that includes integrity and solidarity. Where when, it, when it's advantageous to himself to stand back and separate himself, he doesn't. He actually leads from within. And I don't know if you've ever been led by someone like that in your work, where they actually become, they're like, we're, I'm in it with you, and we together will take this division beyond, you know, whatever the goals are. In Nehemiah, we see, he anticipates the Jesus move, which is not to stand back and say, it's their fault, but actually, if you're going to make me choose, I'm with them. In a moment where he could separate himself and distance himself as a prophet, right? Like invited to speak the word of the Lord to the people. He says, I and we together. So maybe just a pause for a moment as Awaken, as a community. And you can interpret this for us or for you individually. But is there any way in which you've added to the mess that we find ourselves in.
Is there any way that we have added to the mess that we find ourselves in? Whatever it might be. That's a question that we should always be asking. That we should always be willing to ask. Is there any part, and most likely there is, that I can own and that I can confess, that I can repent, that I can turn away from and go in a different direction from? And good leadership doesn't stand back when it counts the most, but good leaders stand in. And we see Nehemiah doing that with his people. Um, If we keep going in the prayer, verses 6 to 7, we hear him confessing the sins of himself, his family, and his countrymen. And then in verses 8 and 9, we hear Nehemiah recalling what God has already said to Moses. So remember, this is a prayer about covenant faithfulness and obedience to the Mosaic law. So we hear Nehemiah recounting what God has already said to Moses, right? And he says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which is to say to the Israelites, if you remain unfaithful and keep choosing this way, like, you will get what you want. You will be scattered to the nations, right? But if you return to me, God speaking to the Israelites through Moses, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as the dwelling for my name. A little biblical theology here for a moment, and I'll say it this way. Remember what you carry. We hear Nehemiah praying, and he's recounting what God has said to Moses. And what God has said to Moses is, if you will repent, if you will turn and come back, I will gather you from the farthest places, and I will bring you to the place that I have declared and decided as the dwelling place for my name. Indiana Jones, you know, the, you know the movie, right? Have you seen the new one, by the way? I've heard it's fantastic, worthy of, worthy of watching, a great, like, going out for Harrison Ford and Indy. You remember the temple uh, uh, where, where they, like, they're looking for the Holy Grail? You know, and the guy's face melts, the Germans. You guys remember this? You're all looking. The Last Crusade. Thank you, thank you. Uh, in the Old Testament, God's presence was in a specific location, right? And that was in Israel, in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, in between the cherubim, in the mercy seat, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the temple, inside, inside, in the holiest of holies, the place where one person can go every year, right? So God's presence, the Shekinah glory, the very being of God, rested, resided in the temple. So when God says, I will bring you back to the place that I have declared as the dwelling place for my name, that's the hope. That's the promise, that God would gather the people and bring them back to Israel, Jerusalem, the temple, which is why Nehemiah is so bent out of shape that it's all been destroyed. Are you tracking so far? So it was like a magnet in the Old Testament. There was a magnetic pull that that was intended to draw the nations, all the neighboring nations around, to the people of God, to the presence of God in the temple. Newsflash. That was 2,500 years ago, and that has changed In the book of Acts, after Jesus is dead, crucified, raised, and and ascends, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, is then given, like, from one place, out into the world, into the lives and the hearts of those who follow the way of Jesus. So, remember what you carry. Nehemiah is asking, like, this great hope that, 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 that the people would be gathered back to the place where God's presence is, and they would be surrounded by it, and living in it, and it would radiate from them. Friends, when you show up to your workplace and to the boardroom in that contentious conversation, you bring the presence of God. Remember what you carry. 
Moms, dads, when you comfort your little one and they're melting down at the grocery store in that aisle that we all hate with all the things that they want at the end when everybody's, you know, patience is run thin, whoever those marketers are, man, they deserve a special spot somewhere. (laughs) When you comfort them in that moment, you bear the presence of the living God. Remember what you carry. When you go to your family whatever you want to call it, meeting, gathering, intervention, (laughs) you bear and bring the very presence of the resurrected Christ. When you show up on a stage and speak words to power to people who are using it in an unfit fashion, you bear the image of God. You bring the presence of God. Remember what you carry. You're... You're not just John. You're not just Tina. You're not just Josh. You're not just Bob. If you've said yes to this way, and if you are in this flow, then like, this is deep theology here, but the the text that we hold dear and center argues that like something has been given to you, has been invested in you, and when you go out into the world, you bring it with you. You carry it. So I just want to remind you, remember what you carry. It's your story, it's you, it's all of you, yes, and the very spark of the divine. So, you got that going for you. (laughs) Caddyshack. So I got that going for me, which is kind of nice. As we close this morning and we turn our attention to the end of Nehemiah's prayer, um, I'll just end with a question. And that question is, whose access, attention, influence, and authority do you seek? There's a very real way in which we look to others in our life for access or authority or influence or attention. You know, when you were young and immature and in high school it looked a certain way but now that you're mature and in your career it looks a different way but it's still present where we look to others to garner attention and access and authority for ourselves back to succession the whole show is about just getting access to authority and power notice what nehemiah says at the end he says give your servant success today by granting him favor In the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. Have you ever researched cupbearers? Probably not. (laughs) Lucky for you, I did. Cupbearers in the ancient world? I mean, these folks were like way up there. They were like highly trusted. Think of like the um, chief of staff to the president. They're in every room. They are like at the hip of the most powerful person, arguably on the planet, certainly in our country, right? They were, they were vetted deeply because there were plots and ploys to assassinate and end the lives of kings all the time. And so these people, yes, they were charged with serving drinks and wine at royal tables and often were charged with like drinking the wine of the king first, to ensure that they didn't die. Someone poisoned it, they would die instead of the king. 
So they gave their lives in service of this person. Nehemiah is no joke. He's the cupbearer to the king of the most powerful empire on the planet. He has access that like everybody's shooting for, that everybody wants. He's, he has the ear of the like, most powerful person that you can have the ear of. And what does he ask for? He asks the divine presence. Grant me success, your servant, in the presence of this man. Doesn't even name him. I was cupbearer to the king. I had it all. I had access to every power and every authority and, and, that you could ever want. And what he asks for is a different kind of power, a different kind of authority, a different kind of access. See, friends, if you're, if you're here long enough, you'll hear me say this, because I think the Bible kind of boils down to this. There are two stories being told. There is one one version of power that says you before everybody else protect yourself and your interests because no one else is looking out for you. Even if it costs your neighbor or your family or your brother or your sister or your spouse, if, it, if it's a, you know, advantageous to you, take it. Right? That's one story. And then there's another story that's being told, and it's the way of Jesus. It's the way of sacrifice, even for your enemy. It's the humble right, that gets lifted up. Think of Mary's song. Think of, uh, it, it, it's this backwards, upside-down kingdom. And this is what Nehemiah is praying. He's like in the flow. He's in, he's in it, right? I had all the power I could ever want. I had access to the most powerful person on the planet. And what he's asking for is a different kind of power. And so to awaken this morning, I would ask you, in your job, in your work, in your way, uh, stage of life or season of life, which, which story are you participating? Which kind of power are you seeking? Which are you asking for? And are you leading from? And Nehemiah, if nothing else, is a, a, a case study through and through of a person who anticipates the kingdom of, that Jesus talks about and who attempts in his very best to live from that place. And so as a church, as a community, if you've been following along, like we're in a new season, we're, starting a, we're writing a new chapter, and it's, I want to take a moment at the beginning here to remind us of the kinds of people and the kinds of power, the kinds of influence that we seek and that we want to, uh, that we're asking God for. It's not the kind of power that can squash our enemies and those who spoke badly against us or who, who right? It's, no, we're not interested in that. That's a zero-sum game and nobody wins. Everybody dies over here. There's a different way of being human in the world. There's a different way of being a community in the world. And it's humble, and it's slow, and it's intentional, and it takes time, and it's, it's seeds planted in the dark that we trust will grow. And it's a kind of power that's subversive, right? It actually comes from, from within and under to lift up, not push down. That's the kind of community. That's the kind of place we want to be. And so if you're interested in that kind of community, then I would say, like, buckle up. Um, thanks for being here. If you're not interested in that kind of church, then clearly we need your parking spot and your seat, right? <laughs> but like, this is where we're headed. And Nehemiah is just a beautiful, wonderful person to follow and live with over the next few months to kind of orient ourselves 
to the direction and and the the places that we want to go as a community. So as we close this morning, I would ask you, as you attempt to live faithful Christian lives in the worlds that you live in, as academics and as lawyers, as scientists and engineers and moms and dads, may we begin with prayer. May it become our first response. Even if it's just, hey, thanks for being here. Can we grow in that sense? May it be our first response. And like Nehemiah, before we build, before we act, before we do, invite and acknowledge God's presence among us and within us. And lead from a place of integrity and solidarity, right? We're not throwing people under the bus at the first chance that we get. And remembering what we carry, that we've been invested with the very spirit of the living God. And so go with confidence to participate in the kingdom. That's where we're headed. Pray with me if you will, and we'll invite you to join us at the table this morning. God, as we take a moment to be still and maybe even interrogate some of our own motivations and hearts, desires, and things that we long for, spirit, be present, be be with us, turn on lights in rooms that are dark. If there's anything that I've said that's not consistent with who you are, Jesus, may it be forgotten. And whatever is consistent with you and your life, your character, your teachings, may it take root deep in us and change us. So do your work now in this time of silence, we pray. So we make our way to the table this morning. thought it would be fitting uh, as we are thinking about prayer and that being a starting place. Um, We do have a prayer team at Awaken, and um, a couple of them are going to be available over in the prayer space. So during communion or after the gathering, if you'd like prayer for anything, um, if you just want to offer a prayer on behalf of our church with with some folks, um, you're welcome to do that. So that's over here on my right, your left. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup after dinner and blessed it. and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. I want to invite you to this table where we're reminded of the Jesus way, which is a, a way of sacrifice. It's a way of love and forgiveness, of mercy, um, of humility. And that this is a power that can change the world. Do you believe that? That's the question. So if there are ways that you've strived for, reached for a different kind of power, you can repent. You can turn away from that. That's what that word means, to turn around. And you can come and say yes to this power. So as we uh, invite you, make your way down the side aisles. There's red wine and there's white grape juice. So we invite you to take a piece of the bread uh, and dip it in the cup. And know that the body of Christ has been broken for you. And the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Oh, and I have a mobile station. If it would be easier to take communion in your seat, I'll just come down the aisle. Just wave at me, okay? To the church gathered this morning, I hope and I pray that you've been reminded of a couple of things that are important. About the way of Jesus and the kingdom. And this invitation that we've been given to follow that there's a God whose mercy endures forever and that it's good and it's yours every day. Um, and to be encouraged to go and live lives of, um, of, that are marked by justice and um, 
and the way of Jesus in the world. Uh, I think that the world needs more of that, not less of that. So as you go, my hope and prayer is that you embody it, that you take it with you, that you remember what you carry. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the church said together, amen, amen. As you go, remember our prayer team's available, so stop by if you'd like, and we'll see you next week. Unless you're a volunteer, we'll see you at the park. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.